Blog Talk Radio. edition for 2022, and uh, we're looking forward to an outstanding show tonight. Frank Carroll at the controls, and of course, Roger Henley is always in Atlanta, Georgia, ready to chip in and give us some information. I'm in Sarasota, Florida, Don Henderson in 
We're all glad to be back together and after a great Christmas and a happy new year. We hope you all had it as well. One uh, one note before I introduce our first guest, Roy Cummings. Uh, just want to say we had a terrific time at the Outback Bowl, and uh, Penn State didn't play up to expectations, at least uh, from our standpoint. But we had a great afternoon, a great game, and a lot of fun. So uh, I thank him for making it all possible and what a great job he did this year, as he has done for the last thirty plus years. Now, Roy Cummings is ready to go, hey, and Don, boy, Don you, you're in the heart of the news right now in, in uh, Orlando or in, in uh, Florida because, uh, well, what the oddness of the game? First of all, a struggle for Tampa Bay to win, and secondly, what happened in the third quarter. So. Let's take it first from the game because I think everybody was really surprised it went down to the last 15 seconds. Not surprised that, you know, Brady did it again. Yeah, obviously. Uh, Frank, did you have a, a dedication or, or something to, to start oh, you, off no, with? No, Roy, I just wanted to uh, bring something to the attention of all the people that live in the uh, Tampa Bay area. Uh, if they look in their mailbox today, they'll, they'll find a copy of probably one of the most useful pieces of mail they'll get. Uh, this year, and that's the uh, Florida Healthcare News. Um, it's a terrific paper. It uh, goes right to. There's no drawing or, or anything. It goes right to what you need to know about all the health uh, care that's uh, available here in the uh, Tampa and um, Tampa Bay area. And it's produced by a, a young man um, of notoriety, uh, the editor. Uh, supervising editor is uh, Mr. Roy Cummings. Uh, I just want to make sure everybody <laughs> knew that. He's not the only well, leading you, sports personality in Tampa, Florida, but now he's an editor. So you can't do any better <laughs> than that to start the show, Roy. Go ahead. Well, thanks, Frank. I appreciate that plug. Uh, yes, our uh, latest uh, edition is out uh, here in the Tampa Bay area and uh, the Pinellas County area in particular, South Tampa. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, and as you said, yes, uh, a lot of things to help people out with, uh, you know, if they're having some issues. Uh, a lot of it is very specialized, but um, everybody's got a little bit of problems probably with their vision, their back, uh, knee pain, that kind of thing. We've got a lot of solutions for you there. So thanks for the plug. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and now on to the football. Um, yeah, Don, I'll tell you, what, a, uh, what an incredible game. I mean, there's so much to really discuss and break down from that game. I mean, start with the fact that, I don't think anybody thought that the Bucks would have any trouble at all uh, facing the Jets, even on the road. They should not have, um, given the, uh, the you know the talent of the two teams, even with all the injuries the Bucks have been dealing with. Um, but uh, you know, I think what happened early on was uh, I think the Jets uh, wisely were aggressive. Uh, they win the they win the coin toss, take the ball, they uh, get some success. Uh, and I think that uh, developed a little bit of confidence. They started to play with confidence. Uh, the Bucks looked a little flat. Um, and the next thing you know, uh, you're going uh, late into the fourth quarter and the Jets have a lead. And uh, unfortunately uh, for the Jets, uh, a play call got miscommunicated uh, there at the end. Um, Zach Wilson was supposed to uh, run an end-around play, uh, probably to a Berrios, who'd been uh, running outside on the Bucks effectively all day. And... Um, there's an option on that play initially uh, for a quarterback sneak if, uh, if he sees a different defense. And uh, the, what did not get communicated to Zach Wilson was that, in this case, 
under no circumstances was he supposed to run a quarterback sneak, which, um, you know, even a rookie should know that with two and a half yards to go to to get to the end zone, you're not going to work a sneak very well there. So, uh, but uh, that didn't happen and um, gave the Bucks a chance to, uh, to come back and uh, uh, give Tom Brady two minutes. Uh, it doesn't matter if he's got timeouts or not. He's going to probably put in the end zone, and he did. Uh, so the Bucks somehow salvaged the game, but then what everybody's been talking about since is uh, something that I'm not sure. I don't know that I, I can't say I've ever seen anybody quit a game like that. Somebody mentioned, and uh, boy, if Tommy was here, you, you'd hear him laughing, guys. Uh, somebody mentioned it was like slap shot, you know, at the end where the guy starts uh, stripping out of his uniform mm-hmm. on the ice and basically quits right there uh, on the ice. And, uh, you know, in this case, uh, reality uh, – mirrored uh, fiction and uh antonio brown decides that uh i've had enough takes off the uniform uh throws it to the bench and uh walks off the field throws his shirt in the in the stands and he is no longer a buccaneer what a bizarre afternoon that was uh in in the yeah. Meadowlands, guys I've, I've never really seen anything like it two quick points before we go to roger one uh the jets had the option Obviously, you're kicking a field goal there and, and assure themselves that they wouldn't have went overtime, at least uh, in a tie situation. Uh, as you indicated, that was not the decision made by the head coach. He, uh, Wilson just uh, misplayed the play and uh, cost them the ball game. Because, but also have to add in one other factor. Uh, Brady did a terrific job, but that last catch in the end zone to give them the win with 15 seconds to go was really a remarkable catch. Yeah, it was, no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, they're going to need some more of those remarkable catches, obviously, uh, perhaps even into uh, the playoffs. Um, there's, some, there's some talk here in Tampa that the Bucks could get a couple of guys back uh, in time for the first round of the playoffs for them, and uh, uh, which will be good. But um, it's, not, it's probably not going to be uh, Chris Godwin. It's certainly not going to be Antonio Brown uh, that they're going to get back. So they're going to have to lean on the Cyril Graysons and the Scotty Millers and the Tyler Johnsons, um, even with uh, Mike Evans still struggling with a little bit of a hamstring issue, and he's pretty he's been beaten up all year. I mean, he's he's battled some knee problems as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, the Bucks are going to have to lean on their depth at uh, those depth positions that they've had, and we're going to find out just how effective their depth is. Mm-hmm. Roger Hendler, Atlanta, go to it. Well, I want to follow up uh, Roy and Don and Frank on Antonio Antonio Brown. Uh, That's a disgrace. I mean, but that young man needs a lot of help. And I think uh, Michael Strahan hit the nail on the head. But I did want to ask this. I understand as of this afternoon, he has not been let go by the Bucs. Is there more of an update about that, or have you heard anything? No, I haven't. The Bucks aren't saying why they haven't let him go officially. Um, and, and it may be uh, – my guess is that it's that they just don't want him going somewhere else. Uh, mm-hmm. In particular, mm-hmm. they certainly don't want him to go to uh, the, the Saints team they end up facing in the first round of the playoffs. They don't want him going to the Eagles if that's the team they end up facing. They certainly don't want him going to Green Bay or, uh, you know, Los Angeles, uh, the Rams. They, they don't want to face him. So, and, and that's smart because, it, it, let's face it, guys, it's the NFL. As shameful as mm-hmm. this act was, and, again, we've never seen it before. And I don't think anybody has. Mm-hmm. This is, I mean, this is Little League stuff. 
where a kid quits right. in the middle of the game. Uh, and, uh, you know, we've never seen this, but at the end of the day, this is the NFL. There's probably 18, if not 24 or 25 teams out there that would automatically say, yeah, I'll take the guy and uh, make him a part of my team because, you know, it is all about winning. Uh, there aren't too many people that really care about character and or what your uh, team looks like off the field. Uh, that stuff, uh, a lot of too, too many people think doesn't doesn't win you games. And um, if Antonio Brown can make you better, somebody would probably sign him. And I think the Bucks are trying to just just trying to make sure that they they don't end up facing him again uh, on the field uh, before the season's out. That and that to me that makes that makes all kinds of sense. And uh, well, Roy, do and you again, think the commissioner part, can part, step part in well, and, you know? and the commissioner can step in and and put the kibosh to anybody signing him. Uh, I believe the commissioner probably could. I'm not exactly sure how the CBA reads in that regard. Um, if he is, if he's out there and he's a free agent, uh, you know, did he do anything that? I mean, certainly he embarrassed the game. Yes, embarrassed um, but the did brand. Did he do anything that broke? I'm sorry. I said he embarrassed the brand, which is ground yeah, he for uh, he, he embarrassed him. the field. But I don't know that he did anything in violation of the collective bargaining agreement that would. Uh, allow the commissioner uh, a place to, you know, suspend him for any reason. I mean, certainly that's already been done, obviously, for the vaccination card uh, fiasco. Uh, that's, that's happened. I mean, he's done everything else in terms of uh, paying his debt to society for the other uh, off-field issues that he's been accused of and found guilty of or whatever. And, you know, so at this point, I'm not sure that there's an avenue for the commissioner to step in and, and discipline him uh, legally. Uh, so I, I think the Bucks are just again trying to make sure that uh, that he's not uh, somewhere else. And you know, uh, you know what Michael Strahan said is is absolutely true. I mean, we do need to, you know, think, look at the bigger picture here. Uh, and, and this is a player who obviously has has a lot of issues. Um, he's got some mental health issues, it appears, and uh, apparently he he's been in counseling. Uh, you know, what I'd like to know is, you know, have the Bucks you know, helped him. Has have they has have they, has anybody helped? Him? Has the NFL helped him? Has has the mm-hmm. have the Bucks helped him? Was he getting counseling? Did this you know, or or were they just letting him go on his own accord here, and uh, leaving him to his own devices? Which, if you're that concerned about his mental well-being, well, then I think the league needs to make sure that uh, he is in fact uh, getting counseling while he's playing. I mean. He wouldn't be the first person, certainly in the world, to get uh, mental health counseling uh, or mental health treatment while carrying on a job. And, you know, far more important jobs are carried out while people are getting such uh, such treatment. Um, so I really would like to know that with, with a, a character of this sort, a player who you know has uh, a long uh, history of mental health issues, was he getting mental health help treatment uh, while he was a member of the Buccaneers? Because if he wasn't, um, to me, then it's kind of like, you know, all of a sudden we're concerned about his, his mental well-being, whereas nobody was concerned about that uh, three weeks ago. Roger, just going hey, back well, to your they, point that all the local news uh, starting at 5 today uh, in Sarasota, Tampa, talked about your very same point, the fact that even though Bruce Arian said, in the post-game press conference, you probably had a chance to see that, that this was it. He was gone. He's no more, no longer a member of the team. 
but I think Roy's point is well taken. Yeah, you don't want to bite your your hand off there, whatever, because uh, if you just keep him on the roster or you don't release him, uh, then uh, he's sort of under quarantine. He can't do very much, Roy. Yeah. Well, well one thing I was going to say is, is going back to, to his time with, with the Steelers. Because let's face it, his, his time with uh, the Bucks is very short. And, uh, but he was with um, Tomlin all those years. And I heard one uh, uh, comment on the radio uh, say uh, Tomlin ought to go into the Hall of Fame for putting up with him as long as he did. And I would think if there was ever an organization that would work uh, to help somebody, it's got to be the Roonies and, and Tomlin and the Steelers. And they put up with him for a long time. And if they didn't give him any uh, mental health assistance during that time, shame on them. But I would doubt that they, they did not give him uh, help. Well, the other thing I think you got to keep in mind is that, you know, this this downward spiral that he's uh, he's caught in right now, that Antonio Brown is caught in, has gotten more violent um, as mm-hmm. time has passed. I mean, yes, he's always been a diva, and we know that. He's always kind of, you know, played to his own uh, drum here, and we know that. Um, but, you know, what got him, you know, dispatched from, from Pittsburgh, uh, was one thing, and then you had then you had issues in uh, uh, you know some health issues and some other issues. Oh, he had some, yeah, Oakland, some robberies. Uh, the some robberies. Uh, smug suspect is uh, some robberies. Uh, also, uh, yeah. you know, uh, sexual problems. So it's not just on the field. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I'm alluding to, and the fact that I mean, it just seems like it's it's begun to yeah. really mount here over the last few years where a lot of these things are coming up, uh, things that he's done. And it just seems like he's, he's going down faster uh, with every passing day, it seems. And, and uh, again, which is the reason why, no. you know, I think uh, before anybody puts him back on the field, I think they've no. got to somehow find out, they, they've got to get him some, some help and, uh, <clears throat> you know, maybe get a clearance from a, from a psychologist or a psychiatrist that, you know he's he's in better shape and he can he can be an asset to his team as opposed to a liability. The one thing they got to have a lot of very good games this weekend. And the playoff structure is starting to set up. Uh, Roger, we'll start with you. Uh, is there any surprises as you look at the board right now? What teams are going to be made, moving into the uh, the playoffs in, in good position? I think we all have to be surprised at the Philadelphia Eagles with uh, Nick Sirianni as a uh, freshman coach uh, that, uh, that they're in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, now they, the, the uh, game against the Cowboys on, uh, I think it's Saturday night, uh, d- does not have any effect on them making the playoffs. But it'd be, uh, I did want to bring up one other thing. About the way they got is, in, Roger. Well, they won. That was, they, <laughs> they got in by winning what they needed to win, Don. I yeah. mean, the schedule's the schedule, okay? They lost this, some... Well, I'm, not, uh, I'm not talking uh, about the, the schedule. They, I'm just the talking they, about the last play to win. Well, yeah, that was a great uh, interception, okay? Because they allowed the uh, Washington football team down the field. But I will say this. I give... Uh, and I was not a fan of Sirianni. And I'm like with most of them. At two and five, I wanted him gone. 
But I do give him credit that he saw run the ball, run the ball. And they started running. That's their, uh, their, their uh, strength. strength. And, and they really have done well. But I did want to, before yeah, uh, Roy goes, I did want to bring up a couple of things about coaches and openings. And one of them I heard today is there's a strong possibility Jim Harbaugh is coming back to the NFL. And I wanted all of your comments about that uh, because uh, do you think that he got as far as he felt that he could ever get with Michigan getting them into uh, the final four? I'd like your Mm -hmm. opinion on that. Roy? Yeah, I think – yeah, sure, I'll go first. Um, Yeah, look, I would like to think that he could get Michigan back. Uh, The fact that they're in the final four has got to help them with recruiting. Um, you know, they, they seem to have maybe had, got a little bit of a maybe just a maybe just a forehead above Ohio State at this point. Um, but they, you know, they're ahead of them right now, and um, that could help them with recruiting. So I would think that maybe there's uh, an opportunity for them to to run with this a little bit successfully, and uh, uh, maybe get back uh, to that. Um, you know, really, it's just a matter of beating the SEC. Is not as strong as it was. I mean, you still got uh, Alabama obviously at the top, and Georgia's right there with them. But um, still, I don't think that the SEC is as strong. I think there's an opportunity here for Big Ten teams to, uh, if they can get strong enough, uh, you know, stay in this thing, and Michigan would be the one. So, I think it's a good opportunity for him to, you know, I don't think he can make the wrong choice at this point. I think if he stays at Michigan, that's a good call. If he, uh, the, the Raiders are the team that a lot of people seem to be linking him to. Um, you know, I, I think I'd like to see him back in the NFL. Um, I really would. I think he's more of an NFL coach than he is a college coach. But, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, I, I think that would be good for uh, the Raiders. And uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, I'd love to see it happen, to be honest with you. San Francisco had a great run and. uh of course, left under very duress situation, but at the same time went to Michigan again. The first four years were a little bit of a disaster. Uh, yeah. But I thought last year when there was so much speculation that he was going to leave Michigan, they extended his contract. Now, I don't know how much, you know, financially, I don't know how much that means, and the Big Ten is pretty substantial. But I agree with you. I think he'd be a great coach back in the National Football. I love his brother. I think his brother does a great job. And I think he would do a great job as well. So I agree with both of you. Here's the thing, uh, guys. There could end up being a a bit of a bidding war for him. It it could get to the point where it makes so much sense for him to go back to the NFL. I mean, let's say you're going to have a few teams out there. He may have his pick. Um, You know, we're not even sure what's going to happen in Seattle. Uh, uh, So there could be a a, a couple of options for him, you know, Teams like the Bears might finally decide, hey, you know, we gotta we gotta make a move here. Mm-hmm. And if he's the Viking, if he's the one, you know, I, I don't I think, think he'd want to go to a loser. I, I really don't. I think that a team that he would go to would have to have the capability of at least being a, a pretender, if not a real factor. I, I just don't think he'd take a losing team. Well, maybe that not. All but I don't think a winning on. team's gonna hire him because a winning team's not gonna fire no. a coach. Right. That's all it's going to be. And I mean, look, the league is full of seven and seven teams right now, or eight and eight teams, rather, I should say. And, uh, there's a whole lot of. No, I'll tell you, I'm a Mike Zimmer fan, but the the speculation is that he's going to be out at Minnesota. 
So, you know, and, uh, you know, if uh, Bortles was was not or out last week, uh, he would be there. I mean, he he could be in the playoffs. Well, he Absolutely. lost, he lost yeah. four or no, five I, games by less than, it, what, five points. Yeah. I think yeah. he's a great no, no, coach. Right. I personally do. It's, it's, I'll tell you, it's really a crapshoot right there because – there's so much parity, and I know the, the league loves that. I, I dislike it, but I know that the league loves it, loves it, loves it because it comes down to the last week of the season and, you know, how many teams have a chance to get into the playoffs. Uh, but the really, how many superior teams are there? How many teams can you look at and say, boy, and, you know, look at the Cardinals. Uh, I mean, they had a great season, but are they a team that can't be beaten? I don't think so. Uh, Don, I'm glad you brought that up because – Go go ahead, Roger. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say the Packers, in my opinion, are the closest to the 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 real ultimate team. Yeah, I agree with you there. And uh, you know what? I, I don't don't sleep on the Rams. I mean, here's a team that somehow made it through losing half of its roster to COVID, um, and still managed to to win games. And uh, they're right there as well, a uh, chance for that second seed. So. Um, I don't think the Rams can be uh, laughed at, but uh, but Don, you're right. I mean, I guess this is what they believe is parity, but boy, it doesn't look good on most Sundays. I mean, there's a lot of bad football being played. Um, I mean, look, I, yeah, I mean, look, the Packers do look like a very dominant team. I, I, I think everybody would agree that they're probably the the favorite to win the Super Bowl. Um, but let's face it, they've beaten up on a bunch of bad teams in their own division. A bunch of bad teams in the NFC. Same with the Buccaneers. Buccaneers have beaten up on a bunch of bad uh, teams in their own division and throughout the NFC and the AFC because they had the AFC East. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're facing the Jets, uh, you know, the way, this, like, the way the Packers took care of business against Minnesota last week is exactly how the Buccaneers should have taken care of business against, uh, Green, uh, against the Jets. They, they couldn't do it. And, you know, for whatever reason, there's just there's just a lot of bad football being played, and I, I think it's gonna I think it's gonna carry over into the playoffs. I think some of those early games are not going to be very good, and you know, when I say not very good, they could be you know they they could be very sloppy, and they could end up being blowouts by somebody, and uh, or they could just like I said, they could just be very ugly sloppy games where they're close just because both teams are making so many mistakes. Uh, I'm inclined to agree, and I, I would also agree with your earlier statement, both you and Roger. Uh, there was a lot of games this year, and I'm not one that turns off many games, but I turned a lot of games off this year. Don, Don you know what? Oh, You're I right. agree. And, and Roger, yeah. I'd like to ask you the same question because, yeah, there were there were a lot of times where I just I got to be honest, I, I said, this is ridiculous. I'll, I'll I, I turned on a hockey game or, or or something else. I mean, anything. Roger, how about you? I agree. I, I agree. A lot of a lot of lousy games, and and uh, you know and and, it, and Don, you're exactly right. I mean about parity. That's what the league wants. But uh, you know, I'm I'm not for, for it. I like parity, but not the way it is now. Okay, you know, and, and the same thing they were you know adult, you know uh, uh, comparing it to baseball in the old days when the Yankees you know, were hated and, and they were there at the top every year. So 
I, you know, I just, it'll be interesting to see how many coaches do change, Roy. I really, I, I mean, I don't, I don't see that there's a, I mean, right now we know of uh, Jacksonville, but who's going to go there? The one thing is they got a, probably a great quarterback for the future. So you have the, the, the uh, uh, keystone block to start with. Right. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, again, talking about the, you know, the bad football, I mean, you, you saw it, you know, in, in some of the prime games that, uh, that we've had just this past weekend. I mean, you know, the Pittsburgh uh, uh, game against um, Cleveland was awful. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Dallas game against, uh, against Arizona was awful. It's just – it's really amazing how uh, the, some of the games involving teams that were, you know, are still in the playoff hunt or are, are, are you know, considered uh, some of the better teams in the playoffs uh, were yeah. some of the worst games we saw. And it, it, that's why you go into the playoffs and it's like, well, who knows who's good? Who, who, how do we really know that these teams are that good? We, I, I'm not sure that we do. And then it is a factor of COVID. It's COVID, and then you don't know what's going to happen three days before games supposed to be played. Look how many games have really been tarnished badly by COVID and playing play, you know, players right out of the taxi squad. Right. And that may have a lot to do with it, guys. Uh, and I guess I'll leave you with this since we're getting uh, up to the top of the hour. But uh, that may have a lot to do with it. And, and that's something you can't necessarily control. But um, it could be that just, you know, lack of practice time, lack of availability of, of players due to COVID, uh, other issues. Um, maybe maybe it's all kind of caught up to these teams where um, they just they haven't had a good chance to practice their craft on a regular basis the way they're used to. And um, maybe that's one of the causes for uh, some of the, uh, the ugly football that we've seen, but there's no doubt we've seen a lot, which by the way, and I'll leave this, I'll leave you guys with this thought. Uh, you can discuss it uh, after I've, after I've gone here. Um, I, I have said for years that I think what the NFL should do and uh, look, COVID wouldn't, wouldn't help this much, but I've thought for years that what the NFL should do is take the week of Christmas off and turn it into a bye week for everybody and uh, let teams get healthy and uh, let them get, take a mental and physical break uh, because I think it would help the product down the stretch and uh, in the last couple of weeks of the regular season and certainly into the playoffs. And um, I don't know what would make a difference right now, but uh, most of the time I think it would with a lot of teams uh, because, again, right now we're seeing a lot of bad football. Roy, I would You're not right, disagree with that at all. Go. I think that's a very, very solid suggestion. Other leagues have proven that to be a very good suggestion. Other leagues have done that, giving Christmas uh, vacation. And uh, so maybe this would be something the National Football League should, you know, should look forward to. Thank you very much, yeah, as I, always. I yeah, Roy, let me, before Thanks, you go, Roy. I sent you an email today. Uh, I, I don't know if you had a chance to read it or not. Uh, Don and Frank are familiar with it. Uh, uh, Bulldog uh, Illustrated. And, uh, of course, you know, it's Georgia. And uh, I'd like to get everybody's uh, a pick on Monday night. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Uh, I'm picking Georgia because I just think they are going to be so focused uh, and to beat Saban uh, and, and, uh, and, and the, uh, the drought as far as their wins go against uh, Alabama. But I did want – I don't know whether you saw it or not, but I hope you uh, get to look at it because it's a tremendous publication uh, that the Levy's uh, put out every week. Well, I did not get a chance to see that, but I will. I'll certainly take a look at it. Yeah, 
you know, uh, look, I'm disappointed that it's another SEC matchup uh, in the championship game. Um, but I do think – I think Georgia can win. I don't think they will. You're asking for a prediction. I think this one probably goes to Alabama by somewhere between three and ten points. I, I still think they're the better team. But uh, my heart's definitely going to be with Georgia on this one. I think they're capable, but I don't think they'll do it. Well, I wish we'd had a little more time. There were so many things happening in the national football. I really couldn't focus in because this is a championship game, a real championship game in uh, college football. So I'm disappointed we didn't get a chance to do it. But we'll talk about it next week. Let's switch gears now. Roy, thank you very much. Bill Matthews Have is a great standing week, by Roy. and has been for a while. Thanks He's for the, Premier, he's the dean of scorekeepers, at, you know, at, at uh, the Trap. Uh, he's the head coach at, at Eckerd. He's uh, everything in baseball. He's on the rules committees. He's on the everything. And uh, so, Bill, we haven't talked to you for a while now, and when there's so many things happening in baseball, this is the time to do it. We're like we're in a lockout. Yeah, and I, I thank you guys for having me back. And uh, but, but before I start, I want to pay homage to uh, to Tommy G, who paid attention to the little guys you know I'm, I'm one of those guys who sits in the background and nobody knows who my what my face looks like but everybody sees my name in a box score and because of guys like Tommy who give people like me a chance to join you guys with your hundreds of years of service to sports um, it means a lot to me to have an opportunity to do that and it would not have happened without him and uh, God love me he's in a better place nope. but I thank him on behalf of all the little people Thank you very yeah, much for that. You. I'll tell you, we all join you in those thoughts because a lot has happened with Tommy, obviously, when he passed away. And a lot of great people have written columns and talked about Tommy and what he's meant to sports. So you're exactly right, Bill. Uh, he's touched everybody, whether it's been you know, the National Hockey League, whether it's the NBA, whether it's Major League Baseball, whether it's the uh, you know, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, whatever. Uh, he touched them all. Absolutely. He, he defined what it was to be a fan of sports, and uh, he just he, he raised the bar so high that it's hard to touch. Mm-hmm. But let me, uh, let, me, let me talk about the lockout, because I, I know when I talked to Frank earlier this week, you said you guys want to talk about that a little bit. Um, I've tried to capitalize it some. I, I don't know that I'm going to do a good job with it, but I'm going to give it a shot. Okay. All, uh, from the player's side. Um, the players are upset that the average salary has flattened. It's been $4 million a year uh, for the last two and a half seasons. Um, those of us who work blue-collar jobs, a, a, a flattened $4 million salary sounds pretty good, but to them, they feel as though because of profit-sharing, revenue-sharing, it should have grown higher and it should have grown faster. The second point that's involved in, in, the, in the lockout is service time manipulation. This is a really interesting animal. Um, you know, you, you, you draft a kid who's a phenomenal player. You keep him in the minor league. He's ready to go to the big leagues. Maybe you bring him up, maybe you don't. But if you do bring him up, you get 90 days before you have to vest him. Well, it's interesting. If you look at the, the line on, on baseball from each team that, that, that goes into print, um, you'll see that there's a lot of guys who get released on day 87, 88, 89, prior to day 90 because they don't want to have to vest him and cut into the free agency time. That's a really interesting manipulation of the process by, by ownership, by the front office. So the players are concerned about that. Players are concerned about tanking. They're concerned, and, and the Orioles came up in this discussion. Um, 
Darrell's they've been a real example of this in recent years. They've benefited from landing top draft picks. They've benefited from landing revenue sharing because they've been a, at the bottom for three, four, five years, whatever. Right. And all the while, their, their entire roster's been sitting around 40 to $45 million, which is $100 million less than 14 other teams in the league. But yet they just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. So they're making money while handing out only a third of what they're making. I'm not an accountant, but that's that's a pretty interesting business model, especially for baseball. The fourth I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, one other thing I, I talked to, not this past Saturday, but the Saturday before, uh, Bill White, and uh, former president of the National League, former commissioner's office, former Philly, former Yankee broadcaster. <laughs> and I said, Bill, uh, you know, give me a thumbnail sketch of what you think may happen uh, between now and spring training. And he said, I don't think anything will happen. He said, I don't think anything will happen before at least one week before spring training. And looking at the papers this week, uh, there's never been a meeting. Nothing's ever been discussed. Nothing's going on. And he said, uh, until the pressure becomes relevant on both sides, uh, they're not going to sit down. But he said, in the end, they don't want to lose the money. So he said, in the end, when spring training is going to open, my bet is it will. I agree with that. I, you know, I think both sides would be foolish not to let that happen. We saw what happened in the last lockout. Um, you don't, you don't want to have to relive. I mean, you know, the, the old adage, you know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over, it's a sign of stupidity. Um, these guys are, are brilliant men who are who are brilliant businessmen, but the selfish factor has risen to the point where both owners and players are now looking in the mirror and. Hopefully, eventually, they're going to realize that they don't like what they see, but we'll, we'll, we'll see if that really if that really makes a difference in the decision. For example, when you look at free agency, the players want to have either one of two options. Either you're 29 and a half years old with five years of experience, boom, you qualify for free agency. Or just to cast, throw a cast net and say six years of time. As soon as you get six years of time, no matter if you do it in six consecutive years or if you do it over the course of 10 years, as soon as you get six years of time, you're, you're, you're a free agent. They want that freedom. They want the ability to control their own destiny, and the owners may have to give a little bit on that. I think they want less than six, to be honest with you, Bill. Oh, no. They, they said, they said 20, 29 and a half would be the age limit where they'd cut it off. Yeah. And that's where they say, okay, we got five years of service, and you're 29 and a half. We want to be a free agent. That, see, this, this ties in this ties into the, how they're playing the salaries of minor league players. They're holding them back, they're holding them back, they're holding them back. So maybe they bring them up in their 24, 25, 26. So now they have to wait till they're 30, 31. And, and they, maybe they're past their prime, maybe they pass their peak. So the, the, the ownership is playing the money market against the players by holding them back a little bit. It's really, you know, there's a lot of things coming to the forefront now that everybody in baseball knew was going on, but now it's like, wow, you know, you're really cheating these guys. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the way, kind of the way it's been. The last point that I want to mention is the point of the expanded playoffs. You know, it's, it's interesting how um, a, a low market, a small market can, can play their cards right, and if we expand to, say, crazy numbers, 16 teams, you're going to get three, two or three teams who never would have qualified for the playoffs, but they know 
manage their money right, they're going to get in anyway. So they're going to just play with the figures a little bit. If they're going to, if they do have expanded playoffs, what do the owners want? The owners want more TV revenue. They want more right. game revenue. Revenue. So both sides are kind of fighting for that. Um, the players are fighting for it because they want to get the postseason money. The ownership is fighting for it because they want to get the postseason money. But the problem is the last three teams maybe are doing it through the manipulation of the of the dollar, which this is a really fascinating discussion. And the fact that nobody's talking about it, the fact that there's no announced meetings, you would hope there's meetings going on, but the fact that there's no announced meetings really makes you concerned about what, why, why are we in this position who caused it? Roger, you're up. Well, I'll tell you, Bill, uh, my question is I think they, gotta, they have to have uh, some uh, form of revenue sharing. Uh, you know, I'm not saying it's the NFL, but uh, they've got to do something and uh, because you do have to protect these small market teams. And uh, the other question I have is what do you think about the future of drafting uh, high school players? Do you think that that will decrease and uh, they'll go more uh, for college players than they do now or not? And also more international. I think that's great. That's a great question. That that's that's the perfect example of what what's going to happen as a result of this. It would make more sense to eliminate the young kids, save the money, draft the older player at 22 or 23, put a year, two years, three years into it. If he makes it great, if he doesn't, you release him. But the owners are going to be spending less money over a shorter period of time which is their ultimate goal. So that, that's exactly the path that this is heading towards. The international player, that's a, that's a whole different ballgame. You know, you, you put right. 20 million, 10 million, 15 million into a 16-year-old Dominican kid. Do you have that kind of expendable cash to spend? What if he doesn't pan out? Um, that's, that, that, that's, that's probably the most difficult part of this decision. Um, I think both sides want the universal DH. I think if that occurs and you have 15 more position player slots open up in Major League Baseball in each league, I think that's going to make a difference in in how they draft because they're going to have to find guys who can hit because everybody, owners and players and fans especially, they want more offense. So that's going to play into this as well. But I think you're talking about the elimination of high school draft 100%. I think you're going to see numbers drop probably by 60 or 70% of the number of kids who are going to be drafted out of high school, and those that are are going to be the power arms, and that's going to be it. I don't think you're going to see the position guy coming out of high school within the next two three years. Speculation, of course, but I, I just kind of think I kind of see that's, that's where it's trending right now. Um, I think the universal DH is going to happen. Um, I, I don't see how it can't. Um, there's a lot of talk about how it's going to save injury to pitchers. I mean, do you really want to have some of these guys, Scherzer and, 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 and Kershaw and guys like that, you want them going up to the plate with some young wild arm on the bump who's throwing 98 to 103, taking a chance of hitting them in the elbow or, or hitting them in the head? Or you, you eliminate that problem if you have the universal DH. So, 
I think that's yeah, well, I'll tell you, I, I've advocated that. I'm a strong, strong nationally from ground up and always advocated to keep the game as it was in the National League. But I agree with what you said in the last three years. My position has changed 100%. You can't have somebody, you know, I really don't, even it doesn't have to be a superstar pitcher, but it could be Scherzer coming up there in a World Series or an All-Star game or something like that. You can't put him in a batter's box with a guy throwing 100 miles an hour. And, and if he gets hit on the elbow, hits in the shoulder, hits in the head, I mean, his career is over. So, uh, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I think that's a rule they don't even have to discuss. Just put it in. I, I, I don't agree. Know, I, don't know why there's been, I don't know why there's been a hesitation other than tradition. I think that's the only thing. I think the, the tradition of baseball – has blinded some folks, but I think that's going to change. I think this, I think this lockout is going to make people be a little more realistic in how they look at baseball, and it's going to make them a little more realistic about why they make the decisions that they make, because the game's about the fans, and if you don't make that adjustment soon, I mean, we're going to, we're going to lose by everybody's going to have 13,000, 14,000 fans at a game, not just the Rays and a couple other teams. Everybody's going to be that way. Well, you just can't pay a player $130 million and, you know, take a chance on him being injured. It's one thing if he's injured on the field in some event that's part of the game. But something that you can automatically eliminate doesn't make any sense. And uh, I think that's one of the things that's happened. It's not not the same game that it was 34 years ago. <laughs> Excuse me. <coughs> so I, I agree with you 100%. It's a no-brainer kind of decision. I mean, why – why not? Why not add more offense to the game, you know? Right. I mean, any, uh, you're you're on offense. all the meetings, and uh, what's happening rule-wise? Is there anything on the table? Have you had any meetings as yet uh, from an official scoring standpoint or a scoring standpoint? Anything going to be changed that you think of? No, I think they're looking at, um, and this is kind of way early discussion phases, what are we going to do about forfeits with COVID? Is it going to be is it going to be a double loss? Is it going to be a loss to the team that can't play? Is it uh, what's the number of players that you have to have healthy in order to have a roster that can be a, day, a, a game day roster? Are teams going to manipulate that? Are teams not going to tell the truth? Is there going to be a time where you have to announce? what your roster is, you're going to wait for the other team to, to speak first. And then say, oh, yeah, 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 we can play, even though you may not have enough players. I mean, there's a, it's, a, it's a huge ethical kind of open-ended discussion right now in terms of the impact of COVID and all the new variants and what could possibly happen with sports across the board. Um, and you're seeing it with hockey, college basketball, the NFL, uh, the NFL has been fortunate; hasn't impacted them too badly yet. Um, but I, I think that's kind of behind closed doors discussion right now at the major league level. How do you define what happens if you're facing a forfeit and you're looking it in the eye? Who gets what? Who gets the loss to both teams? It's an interesting discussion. I, I, I don't know the answers, but I think I think it's being talked about for sure. A lot of schools, uh, maybe Roger would like to kick in on this because he's very close to all the universities in the Georgia area. We're very close to all the ones that are here in Florida, which are all major universities. And uh, the presidents, the athletic directors, the coaches, uh, the administrators, 
everybody seems to be taking a little bit of heat right now about how we're going to approach this situation as a head coach at Eckerd for so many years. And has it affected your level at all as far as coaching players is concerned? Yeah, it sure has. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you the, um, what people don't understand. For example, at Eckerd, we have 2,000 students. Of those 2,200 are athletes, men and women. That's 10% of the population. If you're looking at the decision that needs to be made about a COVID-related issue, you have to be, if you're in your college president, you have to be aware of the 2,000 students involved in the, in the decision, not just the 200 athletes. Right. We're 10% of the population. So the decision is going to be made based on 90% of the population, not on the 10% and it's hard to explain that to athletes, but these decisions that are COVID decisions, these are community decisions. They're not just akin to athletics. These are decisions that are made so that you're not implicating thousands of people in the transmission of, of the virus. So, I, I, yeah, it's impacted everybody. It's impacted Division Two. It's impacted Division Three. Um, we had to forfeit two basketball games tonight. Um, and, you know, interestingly enough, looking into the, 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 how the NCAA works, the NCAA does not recognize forfeit wins. So if both teams couldn't play tonight because of COVID-related issues, so we both get a forfeit. That doesn't go on our NCAA record, but it goes on our conference record as a loss for postseason seeding. But right. the NCAA for postseason doesn't recognize that. So our conference standings are impacted. But our seeding for postseason is not impacted because of the fact that the NCAA does not recognize a forfeit. So it becomes a really convoluted thing. What, what, if, what if you have three or four games where you can't play? Well, that's going to be three losses on your conference record. You could be 8-3, but you're actually 8-0 in the eyes of the NCAA because they don't recognize a forfeit. So it, it becomes it, – it's really messy. It, 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 by the time March Madness rolls around, it's great. I don't want to be a college administrator. I'll tell you that right now. Roger, you're in the heart of the biggest game of the, maybe the entire season pro or college. And uh, what's what's the story down there? Has much been said about COVID? Oh, yeah, well, uh, all the time. Uh, and George has done, a, uh, I would say, a very good job of uh, – of controlling it, and I'm just looking at the uh, basketball game. Uh, Florida and Alabama uh, tied at 39 at Florida. Uh, Bill, I wanted to tell you that uh, I saw a very interesting uh, interview uh, the other day uh, on uh, 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 11 Alive in Atlanta. Uh, my friend Fred Khalil, uh, the sports director, did an interview uh, with the Georgia Tech coach baseball coach, which is hard to believe the college baseball season is about to get underway, and, uh, which is terrific when you have some decent weather. But the, yeah, right, the idea right. was so – go ahead, Bill. No, 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 go ahead. I was agreeing. Yeah, it's right around the corner. It's hard to yeah. believe. February, February 6th yeah, it is opening day. I know, and, and I was just talking about they have a preseason All-American uh, – Kevin uh, uh, Panada, but uh, or Parada, I should say. But uh, I just found it fascinating to this interview 
about uh, what goes through uh, the cycle and what you college coaches go through uh, with baseball. Uh, because when you think about it, it's it's a longer period than it is in the major leagues because a lot of times you're still playing the college World Series in, uh, what, August? Uh, many times, yeah, right? Yeah, July. Yeah, now it's pushed into the third week of July. Right. Yeah, and it's starting in uh, the season starts in January. And, right. And, you know, you when you compare that to the, I mean, the football season's long too, but the number of games and, and the traveling that college teams uh, do is uh, is unbelievable. And the mass involved with the COVID testing, if you're going away for a Friday series, a Friday-Saturday series, you have to produce results within 72 hours prior to arrival. So if you play a Tuesday night game, you got to get everybody tested that night in order to have the results back by Thursday, in order to send them on Friday to the place that you're going to be going to. Right. Yeah. It's it's incredible. It's it's changed. It's changed how we live and how we plan uh, because of all of this advanced planning with uh, with COVID test results. Well, it's amazing. Uh, in all honesty, it has been amazing, especially when you go to the Southwest and South. How many games are there able to play? You know, we're from the Northeast and. You know, you you don't really get any baseball going until uh, March, and, uh, and yeah, then it's, right. a lot of it's inside and it's cold. But down here, you can start in the middle of January and uh, play a lot of games before uh, before the season actually gets underway. Yeah, you know, before I spring training. Or spring well, training, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Players ask me all the time, "What do you do here in the winter?" <laughs> this is winter. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's winter at 82 degrees. <laughs> uh, but Roger asked you a very interesting question earlier about the uh, development of college players. Uh, you, and you pointed out if they hold them back uh, three or four years going into the minor league, whether they're 27, 28 before they get a chance to make the jump, and then they're really uh, knocked off as far as making a big dollar is concerned, unless they're very, very lucky. How 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 good are – enough of the players at the college level to make it uh, really a strong draft of college players as opposed to high school players and gamble on them? That's a really good, that's a really good question. You're, you're talking about projection, and analytics can't necessarily complement the kind of projection that you get just by watching a player play, watching their body type, watching their athleticism. Um, I, I think that think that less teams are going to be more willing to gamble on the high school player because you're going to have to invest seven years, years worth of money into that player versus the college player who's more polished. You only have to invest two years into that college player. Um, that, that's really why I think, I think it's the calendar. I think that's what makes me lean towards a more highly efficient college draft than willing to spend an extra two or three years worth of money um, in bonus dollars um, for high school kids um, because the only kids that are really signing out of high school are the kids who are getting bonus money. So you're looking at the first eight rounds um, of, of talent. So that's why I think that the high school kids going to kind of drop away because you're going to look at more of a short-term investment with the college players, um, which puts them in a position to jump in and maybe get some big league time by the time they're 26 
why the major league players, baseball, the the players union, is pushing for twenty nine and a half because that kid who comes in at twenty two makes the big leagues at twenty six. He's not only going to have to do three and a half years of service if he makes if he's still playing when he's twenty nine and a half years old, but he's going to be vested. He's going to be able to be a free agent. He's not going to have Let's to go to a couple of those free agents that have been signed and. Uh... More importantly, not get away from the free agent, Buck Showalter. What do you think Buck coming back at his age to take over a team that's really in uh, flex? Uh, you, like, you like Buck Showalter and the way he's presented uh, his case over the years in baseball? I do. I like Buck. Um, Joe Torrey shocked me way more than Buck did. Um, I, I, was a little, I was a little disappointed that Mac Caparro didn't get the job with the Mets. Matt's been a great asset to the Rays. Uh, he's a wonderful guy. Um, he's he's nice enough to even talk to my coaching classes at Eckerd via Zoom. I mean, this guy's a, he's a class act. But but in New York, you need the established guy. You need the name guy. You need the guy who's not going to be phased in any way by the media. Um, that's, a, that's a tough place to be as a first-year manager. I think because they lost a guy who was young as a manager, I don't think they were willing to bring in another young guy. I think they had to make the move to go to Buck. I think Buck's opinionated. I think he's got his way of doing things. I think it's going to be a little rocky at first. But I think if he gets the talent, um, his gut instinct ability and his ability to read players, um, it's, it's, really, it's really unparalleled um, for, over the last 20 years. It's hard to find a manager who doesn't rely solely on analytics and relies more on what they see, hear, and feel. I mean, that's Buck. So it's going to be an interesting adjustment for the Mets. But I think he's a good choice. And uh, it's going to be great for New York because he's not going to give a damn about what the writers say. Could, could not agree with you more. I think he's a perfect <laughs> choice. And they're getting pretty close on their third base coach right oh. now, too, which uh, also would be a giant step forward going to a, a real veteran in Joey Cora. Yeah. Yeah, no, Joey's a class act. Um, the whole family. I mean, just, no matter what, what, you, what you think about his brother, they're, 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 that Cora family, man, they're, they're baseball people. And that Joey and Buck, <laughs> who needs a computer? I mean, those, those two guys, they're, they're, uh, they're brilliant baseball guys, and they've, and they've done it without, uh, without analytics. It should be interesting. You know, you're in the major hub. You're in New York. You're in the Big Apple. You're under the, the glitz and glamour. It's going to be interesting to see how the press adapts to him, but Buck is going to do it his way, and I think that's what the Mets need right now. They need leadership. They don't need. They're certainly going to get it. Bill, Bill Matthews, thank you so very, very much. As always, uh, we cover a lot of different uh, topics and subjects, from official scoring to minor league baseball, the baseball, the high school baseball, college baseball. Always a pleasure to get together with you because you're you get your fingernail on almost every one of those subjects. But thank you very much. My pleasure, gentlemen. Well, thank Happy you. New Year. I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat. Take care. Thank Have you. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Mike Simzak's on the line right now. And, you know, when Mike was really uh, a necessity, when teams were playing for championships, and we, we sure. missed, it wasn't just the last two weeks when we were on vacation. It was when uh, a lot of big soccer was going on, football was going on. And every time I'd look at the score sheet that Frank would send us, I'd say, where's Mike? Where's Mike? Is, is he here again? Is Mike here? 
I'm back, guys. I had to deal with some back issues, and uh, my wife had wrist surgery right before the break, but she's doing well. Oh, my God. She's doing fine. I hope you're both okay, Mike. Yeah, I'm doing great, Um, and uh, she's she's doing well. She's recovering nicely. She's sitting on the couch eating dinner. I cooked uh, salmon, some zucchini fritters, and a tomato cucumber salad tonight. Well, you got a lot of ups and downs in the Washington area right now. The Ravens, uh, we talked a little bit about that at the top of the show. Uh, You know, they have really, because of injury, because of COVID, because of everything, they got off to a great start, then they hit a wall. Uh, Washington uh, seemed to be making a move. They won three games in a row, and uh, then all of a sudden they hit the wall again and lost to the Eagles last week. Uh, let's start with let's start with the Washington the Washington football team. They have been, I guess, the best way to to describe this season has been schizophrenic. They uh, they split mm-hmm. their first two games. Then they promptly went on a four-game losing streak going into the bye week. Came right. out of the bye week with that win over Tampa Bay, which launched them on a four-game winning streak, and now they're on another four-game losing streak. So that had seen them fall from the, in the playoffs, in the playoff hunt, to being eliminated. And you can talk about COVID. You can talk about injuries. Um, Ron Rivera's dealt with it all, but – at the end of the day, it's just another disappointing season, and uh, that's how everybody's feeling. Um, he's going to have to answer, he being Ron, uh, no disrespect to him as a person. I think everybody likes him as a person, and they think he's a good coach. But as far as what the team's performance, he's going to have to answer some questions this um, this off season. Um the people who they brought in, and especially their big like free agent signings, uh, Chris Samuels and, and Ryan Fitzpatrick, have not been able to play through injury. Uh, their first-round draft pick, Jamin Davis, has just not developed. Uh, you would expect going into the last game of the season, your rookie first-round pick would be developing into, if not a starter, a pretty solid rotational player, and Jamin Davis, the linebacker that he picked, um, this was Ron's guy. Uh, he's only used in certain packages and really just hasn't quite caught up to, to playing linebacker at the NFL level. Uh, it, so there's just a lot of issues going into the offseason, and this isn't a team where you look and you say everything's going to get blown up next year. When you look at the, the team, uh, you, you feel like the main pieces are going to be back. And the questions are going to be where they're going to go. You don't see a lot of changes coming in coaching staff. I imagine that uh, Jack Del Rio will have coached his last game after this week. I think they will make a change on the defensive side of the ball, a defensive coordinator, just because that side has really been poor this season. But I suspect that the – Offensive side of the ball, Ron, and a lot of those people will still be there next year. They still have the lingering questions about um, quarterback. You know, where is Chase Young, who was having, who had a great rookie season, regressed throughout the course of his sophomore year, and then got an ACL injury? Where? How does he come back? How does he rehab physically? 
Um, is he going to be in learning techniques, watching films, developing um, the mental side of the game while he's rehabbing? How, how is he going to take that, this offseason? Um, and just how are they going to develop some more offensive threats and get the offense to be able to score a few more points? What do you do with Taylor Heineke? We know he's not a uh, starting quarterback, but it, you know, how do you keep him? How do you work, integrate him? And then, of course, you know, where do they go in the draft now that they'll be drafted in, in the upper part of the first round again? And can they get a first-round hit, which is something that this franchise has really missed for the better part of a generation? I mean, I can't think of, you know, many of the first-round picks that have really hit for them. And, of course, you know, we're going to have some big departures. Uh, it already looks like Brendan Sheriff, their uh, all-pro tackle, he will not be re-signed. He was playing on a franchise deal. The deal that he, they want for him is not going to happen. So I would say more questions than the answers. And the only answer that we got for sure is that we're going to know what the name of the team is on the 2nd of February. Roger. Oh, is that when it's going to, that's going to, when it's going to be announced? Well, let me say a couple of things, Mike. Number one, Washington football team has a lot more problems than players on the field and coaches. They, when, when that stadium, uh, FedEx Field, I understand that people on one level, when people go to the bathroom on the next level, it comes down on the, the fans. That's yes, number they've one. they've been having a leaky sewage then, problem all season. Yeah, and then on Sunday there was the, the almost a real disaster where Jalen Hurts could have been killed when the stands yeah. caved in. And I don't know whether you saw that, Don and Frank, or not, but uh, he just missed that from uh, being crushed. And then he helped the uh, the fans up, and all they did to uh, fix the uh, uh, the stands was to take those straps that you use, uh, you know, you know, to uh, uh, put up uh, Christmas lighting, okay, to, to put the stands back together. Right. That, that's a disgrace. I mean, I can remember, and Don, uh, you were there too, the Army-Navy game when the uh, cadets uh, fell out of the stands and, and the, the old vet. Okay. Right. But this was on Sunday where uh, the quarterback – on the opposing team could have been crushed. And, I mean, it could have been all those people crushed. But there is so many things wrong with the complete operation of the uh, Washington team, in my opinion, Mike. Uh, I I just don't know where to begin or what they're going to do. They haven't announced the findings of the investigation as yet. Uh, uh, You know, I mean, maybe you know more about that than I do. You're not going to hear the findings of the investigation. Uh, Roger Goodell has much said that they had Beth Wilkinson deliver an oral report in that written summary. Whatever went on, unless they are compelled by Congress or one of the many lawsuits that has come through actually materializes and goes down the line, uh, that would be the only way that you hear about that. They are very conscious about wanting that to end the way that it did. And I don't think that I, right now, do not think that you're going to hear 
about those findings from that report anytime soon. And if you do, like you do, it'll be years from now uh, when all the key players are no longer relevant, so to speak. So, um, uh, Any speculation uh, you mentioned at the top? Uh, the Washington football team and the uh, the new name is going to come out the first part of February. Any uh, idea of or hints about what it's going to be? They're, they've narrowed it down to a list of eight that they kind of put out. They have said for trademark reasons it will not be wolves or any derivation thereof, like red wolves or, or anything like that because of trademark issues. I looked it up. There is a women's ice hockey team that owns WashingtonWolves.com and a uh, high school field hockey team that both play the name uh, under the name of Wolves. I don't think it would be that hard for the organization to buy those trademarks if they wanted to. Um, but there are so. This brings two issues to mind. Number one. They have shown throughout this process a kind of lack of desire to pay for a name, right? They don't want to pay anybody for the rights to a domain or a trademark or anything. There was at the beginning, right before they announced the name change, there was a guy in Virginia who went out and bought up domains for just about any conceivable com- um, combination of Washington sports names to anything that sounded relevant. And he basically said, you know, hey, I was doing it. Uh, you, go, you guys want it? Here, we'll negotiate a deal. We'll work something out. Uh, they said no. I'm pretty sure that the women's, the semi-pro women's ice hockey team would be more than happy to say, you know, we'll change our name because they might be able to get enough money to keep them in operation for a generation or two. Um, there's also the idea that it could be bigger than that. And I'm wondering if the only team that I can think of in professional sports that plays with the Wolves would be the Minnesota Timberwolves, and I'm wondering if they feel like the Timberwolves might put up a fight against Washington renaming themselves the Wolves, which would kind of bring a bigger issue because that means, like, if you have a new professional team and you have a full team, it kind of gets hard to name the team anything because most of the they're like band names. All those good ones have already been taken. So we've heard uh, Hawks, we've heard Armada, we've heard Brigade, we've heard Teenagers, we've heard President, Sentinels, um, and then of course just the Washington football team. The early betting favorite around here seems to be Washington Hogs, which would be a, or Washington Red Hogs, kind of like a throwback to the old Hogs. Uh, of uh, the Joe Gibbs era. Right. I can't say that I'm the biggest fan of that because when I think of the Washington area, I don't necessarily think of pigs. I guess if you want to make a line, to draw a line and, and, and government, pork, all of that sort of stuff, you might come up with it, but I just can't see Washington Red Hogs being like something that Roger. makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I wouldn't see that either, uh, Mike. And uh, the uh, I think it, it will be interesting to see uh, what what name they pick. It reminds me of uh, 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 didn't Rick Pitino uh, get the uh, uh, the copyright on 
uh, something about you know with the uh, uh, the NCAA tournament a, a slogan I forget what it was, but uh, he I think it was Rick Pitino who went out and got, and uh, and copyrighted it. So whenever yeah, Rick Pitino had a copyright with that. Um, I don't know trademark law. I'm not going to lie and say that I really understand how exactly how it works. Um, to say like how they would view it. Uh, I just can't say any name on the list is, is, is super inspiring. Um, this whole entire process of naming has been a little bit confusing, and I think that sometimes like, they have no idea what they're doing. They, they seem to waffle in between either they have no idea what they're doing or they're so smart and so subtle that they've nailed this and they're absolutely brilliant because anytime they need something to change the conversation just a little bit, they release something with the name, but then it goes away a day or two later. So, like, the uh, announcement that it was going to be on, the Feb- on February 2nd hit about 10 o'clock on Tuesday, right after a major snowstorm and another Redskins loss. It was all the talk for about 12 hours, and it disappeared. They're going to announce it on the Wednesday before the, NFC, uh, the NFC and the AFC championship games. So, I think it will be a topic of conversation for about, you know, 12 to uh, 24 hours, but then everybody's going to be talking about the championship games in the Super Bowl. So he's kind of, they've kind of gotten all of this to the point where, hey, we'll talk about it real quickly, but then by the time we get back around to it, things have happened and there's more to talk about. So it doesn't, it's, not a, it's not the sort of thing that has lingered, number one. Number two, drawing it out for like 18 months, two full seasons, by the time they make the announcement, I think everybody's just so sick of this whole entire process that they're just going to say, you know, it is what it is at this point, right? We have names. Yeah. If it's a new one, great. If it's a, the same one, if it's still the Washington football team, great. At least we know what our name is moving forward. Well, Mike, let's well, say you know, Mike, your bailiwick has always been soccer. And uh, before we run out of time in this segment of the show, we haven't talked soccer, obviously, for the last three or four weeks uh, with your problems. But uh, give us a little thumbnail sketch of where we stand now in a soccer front all around the world and the United well, States, of course. Uh, in MLS, uh, NYCFC, who uh, beat the Philadelphia Union in, in Philadelphia in the conference championship game where uh, most of the starting lineup for the Union was out, um, went on and won the MLS title. Uh it's kind of been quiet. There have been a few high-profile signings of U.S. men's national team players. Uh, Ricardo Pepe, the striker who emerged uh, down in Dallas this season, he's moved on. He's going to Europe, to Germany, to play for Augsburg. Uh, Daryl D.K., who's down in your guys' area playing for Orlando, he was really a big player last summer for um, over in England and for um, – the U.S. men's national team, he's got his big money move. He's going to uh, Southampton in the uh, English Premier League. Uh, so we're seeing some of these MLS players get their moves over to Europe during what is the European transfer window. Other than that, it's gone kind of quiet. Uh, a few coaching moves. Bob Bradley, who was formerly the coach of the U.S. men's national team and LAFC, left, and he went to uh, – Toronto, Steve Torundolo, who was formerly a, a defender for the U.S. men's national team, he's now going to be out in L.A. take over LAFC. Uh, that's basically 
be the news there. Uh, in Europe, COVID has been taking a toll on the leagues over there. Uh, came now to see cancellations, particularly in England, where matches are being called off on a regular basis because of COVID. And Scotland may decided to take their winter break a couple of weeks early and actually postponed their biggest game of the season between Celtic and Rangers. Uh, if anybody's interested in learning about probably what may be one of the greatest rivalries in any sport in the world, uh, Celtic, the Scottish-Irish team, and Rangers, the Anglican Protestant team in Glasgow, uh, they hate each other for all sorts of social, economic, and um, religious uh, reasons. They've been playing against each other since 1888, and it hasn't gotten any better. Uh, that one is, is a great one to study up on, but that was supposed to be played on Jan- January 2nd, and they postponed that one. So COVID really taking a toll over there on the league season. It's going to be interesting to see how these uh, games are made up because they all have to be at some point. Don? Uh, Don's off right now. Oh, okay. Uh, um, uh, Mike, let's talk a little bit about... Roger, before the, I get the on, there, you were talking about the stadium, and um, yeah. The for, so yes, that is an issue, and you're right when you called it the vet. Everything that's going on there is so reminiscent of the vet in its final days. But if yeah. you recall, remember the uh, the Army Navy game, and I was there as well. That happened like the year the vet was closing. Washington can't right. leave FedEx Field for another five years. Their lease right. runs out in 2027. And they still and they don't, don't have, have an option anyway with a new stadium. As of right under now, under And they just announced that there was an article in the uh, Washington Post shortly before our break that talked about negotiations in between the football team and uh, Virginia to have the baseball stadium commission uh, when they were trying to get a major league team in Virginia. They ha- put together a baseball stadium commission, they want to have the Virginia legislature turn the baseball stadium commission into just a commission for all sports stadiums to try and find a place for a football stadium. And they're looking in either Loudoun, which would be out towards Dulles Airport, or Prince William, which is even further south. That's that area that, if you've been watching the news, had the uh, 24-hour, the people caught in the snow uh, Snow delay in, on the roads in the snow for over 24 hours. That would be out in that general direction. Uh, they want to put the state yeah, on down 95. there. Yeah, that's kind of in Prince William County. That's Spotsylvania. That's well south of here. Uh, I can tell you that both proposals, especially the idea of putting it in uh, Prince William County around here, have been met with almost universal condemnation. The issue is that... I have never seen a situation quite like this where you have a team that is struggling with ticket sales and popularity as much as the Washington football team is trying to get a new stadium built. You know, when the Eagles and the Steelers and the the Phillies needed to do it, you know, they were pretty popular teams. They could get stuff through. They had support to put – for 
ballot initiatives and things like that where we don't have it. You know, the other thing would be where you saw what happened in uh, St. Louis or San Diego where the team was kind of struggling and not necessarily as popular and they ended up relocating. But I don't think relocation is an issue, is an option. Imagine the Washington football team playing someplace else or the NFL not having a team in Washington. I know they did it for years with Los Angeles, but that was a different time period. Um, the nation's capital not having a football team, so I don't think relocation is an option. But this is a ticket base and suites have degraded by over 50% the last couple of years. Where are you getting the money to build this stadium? They can't sell they can't sell seats. How are they going to sell? They can't sell. How are they going to sell personal seat licenses and things like that? Where's the money coming from? Well, well you're, yeah, you're in about the same situation that uh, so many cities are in right now. Tampa can't raise the money to build a new stadium in Tampa uh, because of the same factors that you're referring to, and the same thing in Washington D.C. and uh, now even in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, they were going to use all their own personal money. Now they're trying to get somebody to pay for it. Uh, well, not only that, there's lawsuits from St. Louis. Okay. Mm-hmm. This, uh, Clonkey, That's right. The owner of the Rams. Okay. He had told the owners that he would handle all that. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of all the legal um, monies that are needed. Well, now he's asking the owners for that. And the owners are putting up a fight. They want no parts of this. It's your baby. You were the one that took the team out of St. Louis. It wasn't lack of fan support or anything like that. And, and right, St. Louis right. had on the drawing board the, all the, the necessities that needed to be done to the original TD, TWA dome. But let me ask you this, Mike. If they go out towards Dulles, I think that's a perfect spot. But you're exactly right. Well, I think doesn't FedEx Field seat about 80,000? or it did seat 80,000, and they have put tarps to cover up a lot of the, se- the seating, so it's not as bad that where they're lucky if they get 60,000. Is that right? Okay, it used to seat over 90. Then they have Over 90, it's okay. Not, it's not, I think it's down into the high 70s now, low 80s, high 70s, but when, it's not that they've put tarps over seats, Roger. They have taken them out. Um, they, oh, have okay. taken, they have actually physically removed the sections uh, from the upper deck in both end zones. So they're now only on the sides. And then they still cover up seats with tarps. And they're still lucky if they get 60000 And even if they still get 60000 a significant portion of that are opposing fans. Uh, a buddy of mine called me up on um, New Year's Eve, and he said – Hey, look, I got um, tickets to the uh, Eagles, uh, the Eagles game, the, the Eagles Washington game. Uh, he's a big Eagles fan. He said, "Are you going?" And I said, "No." He's like, "Well, you know, good tickets are still available if you really want to go." And no matter how hard they try, it's still like a significant portion of that stadium is away fans because there's just so many tickets available. There, there's and they, the suites are even worse. The suites are less than 50% capacity right now. Uh, I just don't know with the attendance issues that they're having and the fact that they already raised the debt limit to allow Daniel Snyder to finance the 
purchase of um, the remaining shares, the minority shares of that team, how they're going to put together the financial package without public support to get this stadium built because Daniel Snyder himself doesn't have the money. Unless the government of a, of a locality puts it up, I don't know where it's coming from. I just can't make the math work fully to see how they're going to build this. Well, I can tell you, all you got to do is look at the uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, home of the Falcons, and see all the empty seats there. And, uh, and because they do not win in that stadium, and they're a 500 team, but you're right. If you don't get fan support, and I, I thought the best analogy I ever heard about uh, Los Angeles was, oh, you'll get the fans as long as you have a winner and you also have a superstar. Okay, because they love superstars. So you've got to have like Herbert, uh, you know, the uh, for the Chargers or, or Stafford, you know, where you have a superstar, or else right, they're not going right. to draw out there. But Roger, going back to your other point about out toward Dulles, <coughs> excuse me. I mean, what about that? You nobody knows more about traffic patterns than you do. What are you going to do? That that's a that's an unbelievable. You get on that road going out to, to, to the airport, you can't get off. I mean, that way you put a stadium out well, there. Now, what kind of roads are you going to have? No, what they did, Don, was you're exactly right. It was Dulles, the uh, longer uh, driveway in, on the uh, in the universe. But then they right. built the toll road on either side of it. So there you do have the exits. Correct, Mike? If, correct yeah, me if you, I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, the exits on the toll road. But – Anywhere down there, traffic is going to be bad. And if you think traffic is bad out towards Dulles on any given day in Loudoun County, and it's a long drive from this area, but the advantage is that's closer to where they practice and train and where the players live. Like most of the players, because of the uh, facilities, are all in They all live in Loudoun yeah. County, right? So they all yeah. live there. They then have to meet and then take a bus around the Beltway to get to the stadium every Sunday. They might as well just check into a hotel on the other side of the this, this city for the amount of time it takes them to do it. Um, it makes a lot of sense to put it out there. Would it be everybody's favorite way to get there? No, but even from my side of the Beltway, I kind of go west and then cut across the river and be there. It would be a more scenic drive, actually. Um, the Prince William one, I think that's got to be dead on arrival. Uh, yeah, that's, that's too far. Too, that's too far out yeah. there, and the traffic down there makes the traffic around Dulles look like a picnic. Well, you know what's interesting, Mike? The media complains <laughs> here about having to go out the Flowery Branch for the Falcons. But there's mm-hmm. no complaint when you have three or four times more media, even on, or just when they have a regular team, out of Georgia, at Athens. And I was out at Athens today. It's a, it takes a lot longer to get out to Athens from uh, Atlanta proper than it does to get the Flowery Branch, okay, with, with traffic. So it's just a matter of perspective, you know. But, you know, I was thinking about this because Don, uh, Frank, uh, and Mike, he may have uh, be preceded you. I don't know whether you ever had the opportunity to uh, listen to Ken Beatrice, uh, you know, one of the original talk show hosts. I listened to him on BZ in Boston uh, 50 years ago, and then he uh, left uh, BZ, came down to Washington, was a 
on WMAL, one of the great uh, all-time talk show hosts. Uh, unfortunately, he died a number of years ago. But I was thinking about this, Don. Just think what Ken Beatrice would have to say about the shenanigans of the Washington Redskins when he had his talk show and they would have the stars on on Monday night in restaurants and there was all kinds of support, just like you had with Buddy Ryan at the Ribbit. Same type, big crowds and everything. And I, I've thought about Ken Beatrice so many times. Uh, his son was a catcher at Catholic University and just really a, a great guy and a great talk show host. And I'll tell you, he'd probably throw his hands up today with the, what's going on with the Reds or with the Washington Well, football. you're right. You're exactly right. And what a broadcaster he was. And, uh, Mike, I, I want to thank you as always once again. And, and uh, a lot of information about the Washington Redskins that we didn't have firsthand. So thank you so much. We'll chat with you next week. Yep. Looking have forward a great to it. Week, you guys Mike. have a great one. Have a great week. Happy New Year. Uh, and let's make 2022 better than 2021. Talk to you gentlemen later. Have a yeah, good one. Yeah, we're praying for your hey, uh, Mike, wife hey, Mike, and for you. good health. Yes. Yeah, tell your I'm wife. sorry, Frank. Said, uh, yeah, tell your wife we said uh, quick recovery from her surgery, and, and I'm glad to hear that your your back is doing better. Thank you so much. I'll let her know. You guys, gentlemen. We're all okay. with you, Mike. Take care. Bye-bye. Take, take care, partner. Too. All right, Doug Hamilton, there's no golf right now. A lot of snow down your way, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I tell you, I, I know you're, you're hard to solo with those Redskins, but not Redskins, but with those Ravens, and mm-hmm. uh, I just got to feel sorry for Harbaugh. This, he, he has run into more trouble, <laughs> uh, not coaching trouble, just all kinds of trouble, that has really ruined his team. Yeah, it's um, you know um, where they were eight and three to start, and um, you know just a very gritty football team. Um, you know they they've always found a way to, um, you know he's always found a way to be a leader and get the most out of his team, and and um, you know even in the midst of a five game losing streak, I think that they've been in every game but one. Um, and had an opportunity to win, you know, several of these matchups that they were undermanned. And, um, you know, it's a shame. You know, I listen, like I said, I listen to 105.7, the fan a lot up in this area, and I get uh, Jason Lock and Fora, and, and I think he he knows his stuff, man. I like listening to him. I, I don't know that much about the guy in general, but, I mean, he certainly knows the Ravens in football and has his finger on the pulse of the league. And, um you know, it's fascinating the the concepts that they talk about on the show, whether it's uh, the games themselves and and uh, the potential matchups and personnel and and those sorts of things. And uh, today, you know, they were talking about you know looking forward to the last game and, and what that means to uh, the off season aspect of of the roster and and how that you know escalates and triggers um, different things, players' contracts and who's going to be back next year and. You know, the Ravens, if they win, could be anywhere from, you know, 15 to 18 in the draft. If they lose, they could go as high as 12 in the draft. And, you know, they're already starting to talk about, you know, concepts, you know, regarding the draft and and what they need and and all these different things. But, you know, nonetheless, yeah, uh, football's done a fabulous job, you know, navigating his way through an otherwise difficult second half of the season with, COVID and injuries and, and 
you know, through that, I think they've seen some bright spots. And Tyler Huntley, who's played very well in his, uh, you know, his spot starts. Um, you know, some of the younger players in the secondary have had a chance to get some reps in, in the game. Um, you know, it's the season was dismal from the start, uh, losing all three of your top running backs. You know, uh, your, your all-pro corner, um, your all-pro left tackle, um, you know, numerous other injuries that obviously uh, added to that. But, I mean, it's, you know, they, they very well should have beat the Packers. They very well should have beat the Steelers the first time. Uh, they were in the, the Browns game. And uh, this last game, they played very well for about 58 minutes and um, just couldn't get it done. So it's unfortunate, but, you know, um, you know, even if they were to make the playoffs, I think they have about a four to six percent chance if all the things happen. I mean, I you know, whatever. They they, they weren't going to go anywhere anyway. And I actually, if we replay the the tape from previous shows, I think I said that three or four weeks ago that you know they were probably not going to make the playoffs. And even if they did, they had no chance to go anywhere. They just don't have the star power, and that's a shame, you know, because you know you you know Lamar Jackson's window of of playing on a rookie contract is is over um and, and now they're going to have to start massaging that that salary cap to fit players in and around him to to can you you know continue that window um of of possibility of winning um you know his salary goes up to about 23 million dollars next year and that's that hand that handcuffs you you know so we'll see what they they look like in the off season Hey, Roger made a good point uh, earlier in the first half hour of the show. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, he listened to one of the uh, – Roger, you can tell him better than I can. That Harbaugh may be thinking about leaving Michigan coming back to the National mm-hmm. Football League. Have you heard anything in Baltimore about that? Yeah, I think that um, the rumor on the street is that uh, Harbaugh, speaking of Jim, um, he got his start um, as a coach in Oakland. Um you know, I think he's friendly with, with uh, Mr. Davis. Um, I mean, he's 58 years old at this point, and, you know, you only get so many bites at the apple, and I think that, you know, the Raiders are going to be looking for a head coach in, in uh, the off season, and I think they've um, – rumor mill has it that uh, that Jim Harbaugh is, is at the top of that list. And, um, you know, look, I mean, I think that – I think that Jim Harbaugh – from a time standpoint knew that the, you know, the, the getting out when he was at, you know, the 49ers was good to go back into the college ranks. Um, and I and think he, he also knows that before that, Doug. Well, so he, you I know, know. He, re- he really knows the Bay area. He does. And, and, and I think that he knows that, you know, um, as far as his Michigan squad, I mean, he beat Ohio state and he got to the final four this year, but he's also going to be losing, you know, some really key impact players on his team. And, um, you know, the, those recruiting trips are tough. I mean, to, to, to get college football in general, I mean, you know, you're going to see Brian Kelly when he goes to LSU and he's going to have to recruit against, you know, Alabama and, and Georgia and some of those power at, you know, Texas A&M and all those really good SEC schools. And that Michigan-Ohio State um, rivalry in that area is, is, a, is a tough recruit. And now you have, the possibility of of, of uh, the state of Florida probably making a resurgence with with some different moves they've made in head coaches and it, recruiting is tough and to and to to see the fruits of your labor it's not instantaneous and those guys you know you, you get a really good freshman class well how long does it take 
you know, for those guys to manifest themselves into key contributors on your team. It's like drafting a guy in baseball and it's not instantaneous. And that's, you know, takes that development. And, you know, in some cases, a lot of these, you know, programs aren't willing to wait two, three, four years for you to produce, you know, and I think he knows, you know, that his window is, is a little bit shorter than, than what it used to be. So, um, I don't know. I, I think he obviously did well, you know, as a coach for the 49ers and, um, you know, the pedigree is there for sure. Well, well college coaches, yeah, college coaches also say one of the most difficult uh, aspects compared to the pros is that you've got to be out constantly with the big contributors, you know, yeah. uh, at, at uh, fundraisers, at meetings, yeah. et cetera, uh, whining and dining because you want to get that money because I know in right. Georgia – on the improvements that they made at the stadium and the athletic complex, not one cent of that came from the state. It was all right. uh, contributions, so, you know, of the alumni. And, uh, you know, so I, I can see where it takes its toll, not only on recruiting. I mean, uh, uh, Kirby Smart at Georgia was the recruiting coordinator for Saban at Alabama mm-hmm. before he came, yeah. but he played at Georgia, you know, so – uh, the uh, he he knows the stuff as far as recruiting goes, but you're right. Yeah, but Roger, I mean, you also you also had the free reign to leave. With, you know, you don't have to stay for those three years. You could, that's the, that's the really a double factor. You, first, you have well, to recruit the kids, but then they got to yeah, stay you got there. The portal, you can you can leave after one year. You know, I mean, right. you got that portal now. You there's nothing that holds right. you. And now they're now that they're going to be able to sign commercial contracts. Uh, to get get uh, get money, you know, there's a, a lot to be said about uh, what's coming up in college football in the in the near well, term. Yeah, a couple. Yeah, I would say a, a couple comments there. Number one, I think you you know we're seeing a transition of college football to more more of a business. Um, obviously, with all this different stuff going on with these likenesses being used in video games and jersey sales and all this different stuff to to get some of these kids paid and and all whatever i mean that's is what it is but the the other comment um would be i mean obviously as a college coach you know roger you mentioned that the whining and dining and the recruiting and the on the road and and all those different aspects you know what Uh, the the head coach of of an nfl team you know, everybody thinks that, I mean, that's, that takes, you know, heavy as the head that bears the crown. I mean, that, you know, that's very true that, you know, these guys are, you know, Harbaugh's been, been noted as, as sleeping in his office from time to time, you know, these guys, you know, talk about these game plans and practices and conditioning and, and training and, and training room and, and rehab. And, and then guess what? You got the draft and you got, you know, uh, the combine and you got all these, you know, all these different things. I mean, it's 24, seven, 365 uh, for these guys that are working well, countless hours. No, Doug, you're a hundred percent right. Okay. My point is that in college you are out on the road, not you only yeah. play 12, 13 games. Okay. Right. But you're out on the road to talk to all these different uh, uh, groups and the pros when you have right. a season, you're not out on the road except to For go sure. to play a game. That's my yeah, point. The, I mean, Dick, you're 100% Dick Vermeil right. used to do a show uh, from uh, from his office at the vet. Okay, right. Parcells did his show. It was at Gallagher's in uh, New York. Mm-hmm. He wasn't at Gallagher's. 
he was in his office uh, at Giant State, the old Giant Stadium. You know, right. so no, it, it's it's totally different. And but the other thing is, you have I think a much greater impact on a young college one uh, player sure. who will listen to you more than uh, some of the guys that are in the pros that are fighting yeah. you and giving you a hard time all the time. Well, I mean, you know, you guys saw the, you know, the 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 effects of the weekend with, you know, Antonio Brown and his antics, and and I mean, how can you be a head football coach? Not just any head football coach, but but Bruce Arians is, you know, he's he's a well-respected, revered man in football from the college level when right. he coached at Temple all the way up to, you know, uh, entering, you know, interim at, as the Colts, uh, you know, coach and, and getting his own gig and, and all these different things, right? So how do you put up with that kind right, of right. in the locker room? You know, when and then think about it this way, too, because when I saw that, I, I, I couldn't even believe that – you know, you, you have a guy like Antonio Brown who's probably down to his last match in his matchbook, right? And, and, and yeah. you know, he, he pulls that. He, he's never going to play in the NFL again. Who the, who the heck is going to want that kind of antics on, on don't, their don't team? Don't bet on and, that. Don't bet on that, yeah, Doug. Wait a minute. Hold, I mean, you, you may be right. I mean, we, we live in that the world where everybody gets a million chances because all kids get trophies. But, you know, at the end of the day – you know, he's with Gronkowski, he's with Tom Brady, he's with all these wily veterans who have won all these championships, and if he can't survive in that locker room, where else is he going to be able to survive? Seriously. Well, I, well look I at what Tomlin, be... I, brought, I brought up earlier about Tomlin putting up with him all those years. How many coaches uh, would have been able to put up with that? And uh, Sunday night uh, on uh, WIP, one of the guys – said Tomlin well, ought to go into the Hall of Fame just for having to deal with uh, Antonio <laughs> Brown all those years. Well, talent, obviously, in most cases at, at the professional level, talent trumps, you know, a lot of those antics and, and BS that they do. And if they're in the right scenario where they had in, in, in Pittsburgh, you know, they had uh, Roethlisberger and Tomlin and, again, some of these veterans, um, you know, I don't think Antonio Brown went off the deep end until – the tail end of, of his career in, in Pittsburgh for whatever reason. But I, I think that guy has a chemical imbalance, and I think he has some serious, you know, oh, issues no mentally. Well, I, I, think, I think Bruce Arians, I think Bruce Arians leads on the shoulders a little bit of Tom Brady. Uh, yeah. Tom, I think uh, he, did, he, he knew what kind of receiver he was. He knew sure. he could help the team. And yeah. I don't think this is necessarily that uh, the coach was that enthusiastic about bringing him in. But I think he acquiesced a little bit to Brady and some of the players to bring him in to see if we can't win and win a Super Bowl, and they did. But uh, then it just flew out the windows last week. Yeah, but well, listen, I, I can remember Michael Vick, uh, Jeffrey Lurie was totally against the Eagles bringing Michael Vick in, and right. Andy Reid was the one that convinced them. And look at Michael Vick, but Michael Vick turned his whole life around. But I don't see Michael Vick having the mental instability that Antonio Brown, no. Michael Vick never had that. I mean, he just no. was well, involved in something he, that was a social he, issue, yeah. so to speak. Roger, he, yeah, I was going to say, he, Michael Vick never did that publicly in terms of, of creating that level of drama. But No, no, not at all. You know, all. An, an individual no. that would partake in dogfighting, in my opinion, has some serious mental issues. You know, I mean, but that to, was the to culture, watch Doug. 
That was the call. Well, we, well, we don't. We don't I, I, I agree, Roger. I I agree with you. They they grew up with that. It's like cockfighting and all that. Right. Those people that grow oh. up in that in that atmosphere don't, don't think there's anything wrong with it. Right. We well, don't understand that. that. Okay. That in itself is the mental instability that I'm talking about. Because if you're going to tell me that you're going to put, you know, a, a dog that's trained to fight in a ring with a dog that's a, that's a pet, like a golden retriever or something like that, he, he, I mean, you know, there has to be something wrong with your brain to think that's okay. Even if that's the culture, I call bullshit on that. There's there's no way that that's right. And they should. Well, know he the paid his whether, price. Doug, he, yeah. Michael Vick paid his price two years in yes, jail. Yes, he did. Okay? Yeah. You know, and, I mean, turned around, <laughs> when he came out, his kids were at Friends Select School. He was active mm-hmm. at the school. He's picking his kids. You know, he he, yeah. he learned the lesson. Antonio well, Brown has never learned a lesson, no. and I Agreed. doubt whether he ever will unless he gets counseling. <laughs> well, and that I mean, might the, not the work. Question, the question is how, how – how many years can he survive with the money that he's made, and when will that run out based on, you know, his mental capacities of how he spends it and, you know, his – Not uh, very long. Not very yeah, long. So, well, that's right. I mean, because – Well, I mean, you what, know, what's I'll tell you, we, we don't talk about the NBA much on this show, but I'll bring up the Ben Simmons saga. Okay. Yeah. Now, this guy is portraying himself now – because he knows that what his reception's going to be if he went back and played with the 76ers. The NBA should have this guy uh, suspended because he is just milking the team for, what does he get, $40 million a year? Okay, mm-hmm. not playing a game. And when you allow this to happen, and he's out there with Maya Jama, and I guess they got engaged mm-hmm. or something, you know, mm-hmm. all he wants, he wants the money to play. Okay. Right. And, and when you allow this to happen, you're just asking for trouble. Yeah, well, that, that Roger, the, that goes right back to the commissioner again and the, and the structure again, of the yeah. league. You have to yeah. have the right kind of leadership. Baseball's not doing it right now. Football's having a tough time because they got too much power at the top and not enough pressure from the commissioner to make any kind of rules to change anybody's life except their own. And uh, now you're saying the same thing about the NBA. Since Kennedy uh, retired and, and Brown retired, I mean, you gotta you got to remember that the commissioner's office has not been very strong the last 10 years. No, not mm-hmm. at all. No. And then Goodell was on with the uh, Mannings the other night on uh, Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. Well, he makes, he's a great guy for, for public relations. i got to say that. He he knows what oh, to yeah. do with public relations. Uh, he, he's still, he's still hawking those. Himself. Right. Well, he makes about $50 million now or something. But uh, he's also like still selling those, those seat licenses for football. The people, as you mentioned earlier, Roger, do you realize the people in St. Louis haven't gotten their money back for the seat licensing yet? Nothing. They yeah. got nothing. Well, that's right, and that's all part of that lawsuit, Don, okay, you know, that Kroenke said he was going to take care of, and I told you about mm-hmm. that, and by the way, uh, Doug, I agree with you and Jason Lockenfora, and he used to be, mm-hmm. I think, on the NFL Network, always did a great job, so yeah, uh, he makes, I can see he makes where... Spots. Yeah, 
I mean, but they they were talking about this earlier. You were talking about Ben Simmons, and they they had a couple different scenarios. They were saying uh, Ben Simmons getting traded to Portland for uh, Lillard. Um, you know, in terms of Portland going through a rebuild and. You know, when you get a guy like that on your team, I mean, obviously we know that Ben Simmons is uber talented, but, you know, he's a malcontent and he's not going to be – he doesn't want to play for the Sixers. and They don't want him to – you know, all these different things, you know, factor into it. you, you got to do something to, to get rid of the guy, you know, and that's – you know, you can talk about that, you know, across the, the board with, you know, what's Russell Wilson going to do in Seattle? Is he going to be there next year? I mean, I don't know. I mean, where, where's he right. going to go? I don't, I don't think he wants to play in Seattle. I mean – you know, uh, you know, you have all these different scenarios of, of you know, it's it's fascinating. I mean, is Tom is Tom Brady going to resign and play for another couple of years? I mean, Ben Roethlisberger is going to retire. What are the Steelers going to do in terms of a quarterback? I mean, Washington doesn't have a quarterback. You know, um, and hasn't had one for some time. Well, they were talking about Kirk Cousins because he got COVID. You know, they were trying to they were trying to blame him for you know like an inopportune time that he got COVID because he's not vaccinated because they had a chance to beat Green Bay and make the playoffs. I'm like, what is wrong with you? He got COVID. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, Wentz wasn't ridiculous. vaccinated either, and he got COVID too. There you go. Well, I mean, he, look, he, but yep. he played Sunday. Well, I, I think the only commissioner I have any faith in at all right now. Is Bedman with the National Hockey League? Bedman seems to Amen. control control the league with the best in, in in mind for the owners, best in mind for the players, and best in mind yeah. for Covis. How to work every one of those at uh, different angles for the betterment of the league. And he, right. Yeah. Well, and their salaries are in check too. You know. I mean, well, we the, the mentality of the players is totally different in hockey, too, uh, because, I mean, you know, where they grew up and, and uh, for the most part, I mean, you're going to get a lot of exceptions, you know, today because of being brought up in the U.S. But, uh, you know, they grew up in small towns. They appreciate the opportunity and they just grew up with a different culture. And I just uh, I heard some statistics last week that football is now more popular in Canada than hockey. I find that hard to believe, but that's a fact. Yeah, well, I mean, you're talking about NHL hockey and hockey players in general. I mean, cold cold weather and hard work. You know what I mean? What, what two ingredients, you know, what what two other ingredients do you need to decipher someone's, you know, character than, you know, here's a puck, here's a, here's a net, here's a, you know what I mean, go skate on this pond that's barely frozen and, you know, all these different things. I mean, there's a certain allure, like for me, who's not really a hockey fan, who's become one, to watch these guys and how talented they are on skates. And they're enormous people that are uber talented, super athletic, um, you know, gritty people that have beards and blue collar. And, you know, just it's it's fun to watch. I mean, it, I, I enjoy I, – I watch virtually every Caps game that comes on TV now. And I it, it, a year ago or two years ago, I couldn't say that. You know, I, I never even watched hockey, but I love it. It's great. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, Doug, uh, RG and I were out at opening night for the Gladiators, which is a minor league team in the, I think in the EHL. And yeah. uh, I would tell you, we were down by the corner of the, uh, uh, of the dasher boards with the glass. And I got to uh-huh. tell you, we could not believe <laughs> the speed of the, of the oh. when you're down close to the players and the speed of that game. And that's minor league. And they honor it. 
you know, they honored uh, one of the players, the captain, and his wife and his kids were there. And, you know, uh, he's a he's going to be a career minor league uh, hockey player. Sure. But uh, just okay. a class act, he had his 300th goal. And, uh, nice. you know, they made a, a terrific giveaway. Uh, so, I mean, I agree with you. I've always been a hockey fan since I went okay. to a Ramblers game in, in probably in 1957. And, uh, you know, I've always loved hockey. I still so, – Love to watch it on TV. I, TV is is a, t- a tough hey, avenue to watch it on. I think it's so much different. Roger, there for, uh, for Christmas, Roger. I got a, a um, NHL puck signed by Connor Fury uh, of the uh, of the Capitals and a T-shirt with with his uh, jersey number on it. And you know, for some reason, I don't know why. I just when I watch the Caps, I love watching Connor Fury. You know, he's not a, obviously a star, but He's always around the net. He's always around the puck. He always plays hard. He always figures out a way to contribute in some fashion. And he's just a gritty kind of blue collar guy, which I I can, yeah, yeah, I, can yeah. I, I can identify with that. That's that's the way that's well, the way I, mean, I like hey, him in Philadelphia. Before, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before we get away, Mike, I have to ask you: Is your wife excited about the Monday night game coming up? <laughs> Are you are you are you kidding me? I mean, you know this this is this is all I've heard for like the last week. Like we're out of time, fellas. I hate to rush you, but we got to go. Yeah. Time's up. Talk to go you next go. week. Yeah. Have a great week. God bless. Go dogs. Right on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every day of the week. I'm grateful. Appreciation. The men and women of the police and fire services, men and women of the United States Armed Forces. When you're out there and see somebody in a uniform, please take the time just to uh, let them know that you know they're there. And these are very tough times for everyone in uniform. <clears throat> these programs are also dedicated to those who lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Sergeant Thomas Bager, <clears throat> Patrolman Je- Jeffrey Yazowitz. Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Newcastle County Police Lieutenant Joe Zerba, um, Sergeant Mike uh, Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Charles uh, Levesque, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Patrolman Anafo Crispin, Lakeland PD. Patrolman Patrol Deputy Josh oh, Myers, Anafo oh. County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Arden Cope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department. Uh, <clears throat> Trooper Carol Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Charles Chelsea Richards. Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogle, along with the Police Department, and Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, though, you may be 10-7 at this point in time, and sometime we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields, and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Thank you, and good night. Shemalek ma'ilamach, Shemahezahilmach, 
Victory. 
思います。